only to uh, hear me tell you that we're doing uh, a sermon series this summer on the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to continue to look at the, the broad brushstrokes that the Bible paints on this topic before we get into particulars. Um, so find Exodus 25 and once you get it, if you want to stand, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. RJ, how much room do I have? Do I stop here or can I go over here? All, okay, right here? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> Exodus 25. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. No, we're not doing a sermon on giving this morning. <laughs> These are the offerings that you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate, that being the ephod and breastplate of the high priest. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern. By the way, Hebrews speaks of this pattern. This pattern is a pattern that is in the heavenlies that also is a replica. This, what God is instructing is a re replica of, of what is in the heavens. Make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. This is God's word. You can be seated. I mean, of course, a text like this, just to jump right into it, uh, needs a little context. Uh, we need to know where we are in the story. Uh, the first book of the Bible is Genesis, as we know. Uh, Genesis is about the good world that God creates. I mean, good, harmony, beautiful, orderly, shalom, shalom. And, and, and then how that, that good world full of shalom falls into chaos and utter ruin. And so the second half then of Genesis is about God's plan to redeem and repair this world. And it's how God comes to a man named Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your family. I'm, I'm, I'm going to heal and repair and redeem your family so that through your family, all the families on earth can be blessed, can be healed and repaired and redeemed. And so then the rest of Genesis is about this family, and it ends with uh, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and his 12 sons who go down to Egypt because of a famine, and it's there that these 12 sons become 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes become a great nation. And then you have the book of Exodus, and Exodus picks up 400 years later, and there now in Egypt you have a pharaoh who sees how great this family of Abraham, now called Israel, has become. And he's threatened by their greatness, so he enslaves them, even impresses them through infanticide. 
And what Exodus means is what God does in the book of Exodus. It means a way out. This is exactly what God does. He provides a way out. In fact, look at uh, what God says to Israel before he does this in Exodus 6, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Here's what I want us to know. As God took them out, he takes us out. But that taking out is never an end to itself. That's why seven times God says, as he's taking Israel out, he says this to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go so that they may worship me. See, whenever God performs an exodus in our lives, whether it be God delivering us from an addiction or setting us free from selfishness or redeeming our life from a pit, or shattering a destructive idol, or healing us of our pride. Exodus is never the end. Worship is. That's why this morning felt so right. In my heart, it's just like this ring so true for me to just worship God, not just even with my mouth, but with everything that is in me. We were made for this. In fact, this word for worship in the Hebrew scriptures, Pharaoh, let my people go so they may worship me, is the word avodah. Avodah, of course, means worship. But avodah also means work. Which is why to a Hebrew, to a Jew to this day, work is the highest form of worship. Because worship is more than gathering here on a Sunday and singing. Worship is what we do Monday through Saturday with our work, our lives, with our money, our bodies, living sacrifices to God. How are we doing? Are we worshiping God with our lives? Our bodies, our Friday nights, our work, all of it. Are we worshiping him with everything that we have like we just did? Now the next verse after God says, I will deliver you, set you free, and redeem you. He keeps going and he says this in in Exodus 6 verse 7. He says, I will also take you. I will take you as my own people. That word literally means what I said on my wedding day when I said to Libby, I, I Rod, take you, Libby, to be my wife. And see, this is why 50 days following the taking out, God puts on this grand wedding ceremony in the desert and he takes Israel to be his bride. I, God, Take you, Israel. And we've talked about this, those those two Jewish holidays, uh, Passover and Pentecost, they celebrate these two incredible events. Passover celebrates God taking us out. Pentecost celebrates God taking us in. 
Now, does this describe your relationship to God? Because being a Christian is far more dynamic than just believing some things about God. Do we have stories to tell of deliverance, of God radically repairing and healing us? Have we had the, the experience of, of being in this intense relationship with God that, that, that is, is on par with, with that if you're a husband that you have with your wife? Maybe this is what you do today, fathers. I don't know if you're going to have big Father's Day celebrations, but, but maybe this is a day where, where, where fathers uh, gather everyone that's there at some point uh, during the celebration and say, this is what God delivered my, me from. This, this is what God has done in my life. This is the walk that I have with God. So now we come to Exodus 25. And God says this. Israel, build me a sanctuary. And the rest of Exodus, if you don't know this, it gets really, I'll just be honest, real boring. Uh, the next 15 chapters, the last 15 chapters, describe the building of of the tabernacle. And to us, this might not sound like a big deal, but this is taking up 15 precious chapters of God's word. In fact, just the length alone, if, if you, that, that's the equivalent of Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians in our New Testament. Or you can look at it from this angle. God only uses two chapters of the Bible to describe the creation of the world, but yet he uses 15 chapters of the Bible to describe the creation or the making of the tabernacle. Why? Well, what's a sanctuary? I know what sanctuary was for me growing up. It was, it was the big room in our church with, with all the stained glass windows where... We weren't allowed to run or goof off. Uh, we had to really behave ourselves. Uh, but here's the most basic meaning of the word sanctuary. Sanctuary is God's dwelling place. It's his living room. And of course the Bible teaches that, that, that God is everywhere. David in Psalm 39 expresses this so well. He says, where can I flee from your presence? <laughs> he asks the question knowing that we can't. We can't ever escape God's presence unless we go to hell. Because hell is actually the place where God isn't. That's what makes hell, hell. And I don't think we have any idea right now that God's presence still fills the whole earth. But in light of that, the Bible still teaches us that there's an actual place of God's dwelling where God makes his home. And, and the Hebrew word for dwell is, is the Hebrew word shekan. Shekan simply means to dwell or to, to make one's home. And it's in our text this morning, Exodus 25, 8 to 9. This is what it says. Then have them make me a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell. There's the word shekan. Among them. And then God says, make this tabernacle, and that in Hebrew is a mishkan. Mishikan. Me is place of, Shikan is dwelling. And 60 times in those 15 chapters, the remaining of Exodus, Mishkan is used, which we translate 
tabernacle, which is none other than the place of God's dwelling, where God makes his home, his living room. Now, it's also from this word, shikan, that we get the word shekinah. And some of you have heard that word. Sometimes it's said shekinah. The shekinah, the shekinah, is, is, is actually the glory that emanates from the place where God dwells. It's God's raw presence. It's, it's his tangible manifest presence. I mean, it's the Shekinah of God that, that maybe even caused some of our hearts to already say this morning, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. If your heart said something like that, like, wow, God is here. The Shekinah we, it, it, it is, is what we sense. It's what we taste. It's what we hear. It's the manifest presence of God. Now, when you put all of this together, you know what this describes? Eden. This describes the garden of God. Because Eden is the first Mishkan. It's the first sanctuary. It's where God first establishes his living room on earth. And you know what Eden, the word itself, means? It means ecstatic pleasure. Because what makes Eden this place of ecstatic pleasure is the simple fact that God lives there. It's his living room. And this is the place where Adam and Eve also lived and walked with the holy. And Genesis 3 verse 8 fleshes this out so well. Uh, Genesis 3 verse 8 says this, the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I just want to unpack this a little bit. Um, first of all, the first time, this is the first time where the word walk, which is a huge word in the Bible, first time it's used. In fact, it's a very unique word for walk. It, it means to walk about or to stroll around. And this describes God, what God does in the garden. He, he walks about it. He, he takes a stroll. Now, practically every commentator who studied this text in its context, both Jewish and Christians, say that this is something that God did every day. And he did it with Adam and Eve. God just took his walk. He took his stroll about the garden. Why? Because garden is God's mishkan. It's his sanctuary. It's his home. And it's also the home to Adam and Eve. So just think about this. Before sin entered the world, God took long walks with us. Every day, he took a long stroll. And see, this is why Eden is ecstatic delight. Adam and Eve walked with God. 
And they didn't just walk because it also says that they heard the sound of the Lord. And, and that word for sound literally means voice. They heard God's voice. And so they didn't just walk with God, but they walked and talked with God. Libby and I both have a grandmother whose favorite hymn was the same in the garden. And I had the lyrics all printed, and I left it at home. <laughs> but you know the hymn. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. That's what Adam and Eve experienced every single day. And it says the actual time of the day that Adam and Eve did this, they did this in the cool of the day. Um, the cool of the day in that part of the world is that evening time when the heat is replaced with this wonderful breeze. In fact, I think about this phrase, the cool of the day, every time I go to Israel. And, and, and you get to those evening hours where it's so relaxing. You can't even feel temperature. It's not hot. It's not cold. But all you feel are those wonderful breezes. And this word cool here is a cool word. <laughs> In Hebrew, it's the word ruach. And ruach is a word that means wind, but more importantly, it means spirit. So as Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in God's living room, they experienced his wind, his spirit. And this is what we were made for. We were made for this place, this garden, and to do this, to walk and talk with God. To hear his voice, to experience his wind, his Shekinah presence. In fact, I've taught you this other Hebrew word um, before, the Hebrew word for to know, uh, one of the words for to, to, to know is the Hebrew word yada, and yada comes from the root yad, which means hand, so this is the kind of knowing that you get through touch, through the personal experience of that thing you come to know, and this is what we were made for, we were made to yada, to know God, to the experience of God. Of walking and talking. And this is the tragedy of sin. See, what Adam and Eve wanted is they still wanted the garden, but they wanted the garden without God because they wanted to do life their way. And not much has changed. People today still want the garden, ecstatic delight, but they don't want God. And so as a result, they lost God. And this is the great divorce. Adam and Eve lost the garden. Heaven became divorced from earth. Humanity became separated from God. The world lost God and his manifest presence. Which is why it went dark and into ruin and into chaos. Now why do I say all this? Feel the excitement when God comes to a people and says to them in Exodus 25, build me a mishkan. Do you hear what God's saying? God's saying, I don't like 
this separation. I don't like this divorce. I want to be near you. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. I want to make my home among you. Let's try this again. Let's build another garden so we can know each other. In fact, that's what it says in uh, Exodus a few chapters later in Exodus 29, verses 45 or 6. God says, then I will shikan, I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God, and they will know. That's that word, yada, and they will know me. I love this, this, this picture uh, that I'm going to show you because this picture depicts... Maybe if, if, if Israel followed the instructions of Exodus 25 through 40, that's close to what it would look like. Now, why do I love this picture so much? Because God says, put my tent right in the middle of your tents. I want to be right in the heart. I want to be right in the center of, of, of where you live. And this picture, to me, it just, it just screams, like, how badly God wants to be with us. How much he desires us to walk with us, to be known by us. Think about what they would have been visually reminded of every day, maybe even throughout the day. Every time that they would turn and see God's tent, they could think to themselves, wow, God is here. He's among us. If your kids who, who, who are young, grow, growing up, uh, they probably look at that at some point and say, well, what's that big tent doing in the middle of all of our tents? And you could just tell your child, that, that, that's, that's where God, God's, that's God's tent. That's where God lives. That's why you don't have to be afraid of the dark at night. That's why you don't have to be afraid of the scorpions and snakes. That's why you don't have to be afraid of desert raiders. That's why you don't have to ever be afraid of having enough to eat or having enough to drink because God is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, he is with us. Or how about this text from Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. God says this. He says, I will put my dwelling place, my mishkan, my tabernacle among you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, I want you to look closely at, at what God says here, because what, what I would expect God to say here is, build me a mishkan, and I will live in it. But instead, God says, you build that tent, and I will walk among you. And there's that unique word for walk that's used in Genesis 3, verse 8, it's what God did in Eden with Adam and Eve, how he walked among, how he took a stroll. And here's another thing that we need to see when we look at that tabernacle is we need to see that the tabernacle is so much more than just this little tent uh, on the fringes of the world. But something cosmic is taking place um, when God establishes this tent on earth. Because when you take this tent back to the first garden, Eden, Adam and Eve, out of sanctuary, where God lived and they lived with God, were also commissioned to make the whole world a garden. 
to be God's special people in God's special place who enjoy God and they priest God and his presence into the entire creation. God is once again planting his garden. He's putting a people in that garden. He's walking with this people. He's filling them with this transforming presence. And he's commissioning them to bring that presence, that garden, into the, all the world. And so through tabernacle, God is not just recreating recreating. A people, but he is through a recreated people intending on recreating the whole world. Now, who built this? Did God build it? Did Moses build it? Well, that's why we read Exodus 25. Look at verse 8. And leading up to verse 8, it's the people who have to bring all their things. God says, then have them, the Israelites, make a sanctuary for me. And so what I love about this, yeah, God provides the exact blueprint, but that's it. Moses, I want them to build it. And then when you get to a part in the process in, in Exodus 35, when, when Moses says, okay, br bring this stuff for, for the making of, of the tabernacle, uh, it, it says that they offered up their very best, their gold, their silver, their finest linen, so much that God got to say, look, enough. We have way too much stuff. Now what's driving all of this? In their minds, they're building the garden of God. And they're thinking if we build it, God will come. If we make space for God, God will come and fill it and make his home with us. Like there's so many parallels in this text, Exodus 25 to 40, to creation. For instance, at creation, each day begins with, and God said. Exodus 25 verse 1 says, the Lord said, and this is the first of six more times when it will say, and the Lord said. At creation, God rested on the seventh day. The seventh time and final time in these chapters in Exodus where it says, and the Lord said, is, and God instructed the Sabbath. He instructed the rest. Or think about it from this angle. When God created the world, he essentially said, Adam and Eve, I make the space, you fill it. Now God is saying, you make the space, and I'll fill it. And you know what they did? They made the space. And when the space was completed, Exodus 40, verse 34 says this, In the cloud that covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the mishkan, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, so much so that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled it. God's Shekinah, his manifest presence came and it filled the house. 
and you go to Leviticus 9, which gives us even a little bit more detail um, on the dedication of of Mishkan, the tabernacle, all the people are gathered in the courtyard and around the courtyard. And Moses and Aaron come out to bless the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And at that moment, it says literally the fire of God came down. And it just sucked up even the offering on the altar. And it said the people shouted, yes! And then it says they all fell face down. And they worshipped. When is the last time the presence of God so filled your heart that all you could do is shout? Or when is the last time you were so overwhelmed with his presence that all you could do is just fall face down? The exact same thing happens when Israel gets to the promised land. Solomon builds God a house. At its dedication, all of Israel's present. The offerings are made, the prayers are offered. And 2 Chronicles 7 says the exact same thing. The fire of God came down and filled the house and consumed the offering on the altar. And all God's people fell down and worshipped. After that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, the Jews led by Ezra returned to rebuild what is called the second temple. And you can imagine the excitement of the, of the day of dedication for this. The people are there, the prayers are offered, the sacrifices are made. And crickets. Nothing. The old men start to weep. They know. God didn't come. There's no Shekinah. God isn't with us. Even the prophets declared Ichabod, which means no glory. God isn't here. His Shekinah never returned. So as much as Israel went up to that house to pray, to worship, to offer sacrifices, it was hollow. It was empty. It was just busy religious activity. Until a man named Jesus shows up and John says the word became flesh and dwelt literally he, he tabernacled he, he's the fulfillment of tabernacle and John says and we beheld his glory because the Shekinah of God just ooze from this man, God's raw presence came to the world in Christ. And before Christ departed, he said to his followers, 
it is better that I go. For when I depart, you will receive my spirit, my presence, my shekinah, my glory. It will come upon you. And it happened. Pentecost, the fire came down. And Christ Shekinah filled God's new temple. God now makes his home in us. We are the tabernacle of God. We're Eden. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says, For we are now the temple of the living God, as God says, and he quotes Leviticus 26, I will live with them and I will walk among them. I will take my stroll with my arms around them, filling them. Do you know this, that, that, that right now we are the garden of God? Or might the prophets and God himself say to us, Ichabod, is God among us? Is the fire of God's presence living in us? Is his glory, his glory, his Shekinah emanating from us for the world to see? I think this is the big question that I want to end with. Will we build God a Mishkan? Will we make space for God? And will we make space for God because we're desperate for God and we long for his presence? I mean, we make space for a lot of things. We make space for ourselves. We make space for our hobbies and for our families. We make space even for our pets and our sports and our school. We make space for our friends and our social life. We make space for our retirement. We make space for our vacations, our leisure, and our pleasures. We carve out huge spaces for a lot of these things. But what kind of space are we making for God? Have we made space in our hearts? Have we made space in our lives? Have we made space in our marriages? Have we made space in our homes, in our church? Because this question right now is probably the only question that matters. And I'll say one of the most depressing verses in the whole Bible, and it's written to Christians, is Revelation 3. It's Jesus' letter to the church of Laodicea, and he says, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> in other words, you hear what he's saying? I'm on the outside. And he's such a gentleman. He says, I'm on the outside, but I'm, I'm knocking. We can so be about our lives, even living for God, being busybodies for good, even justice, and be too busy too self-absorbed to even notice that God might be absent. Is God on the outside of your life? Is he knocking? Or have you let him in?
have we let God in? Because God says, when you let me in, I come in and I fill your life and we dine together. And I'll tell you what's at stake here. Eden. Eden. For us to experience Eden and for us to bring Eden to our world. God, as we prepare to dine with you through the meal that you gave us that we call the Lord's Supper, maybe some of us today, Lord, have to confess that you, Jesus, are on the outside. <laughs> and maybe it's the simple song that we sang as kids, Into My Heart into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we are desperate for you, and we need you, and we invite you in. God, may we carve out radical space in our lives, in our homes, our marriages, our families for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray this out. Today.